Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joel Norris, and whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or listening on Podbean, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just to sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like each episode, and leave comments down below. If you're listening on Spotify, Podbean, and Apple, forgot to mention Apple, Apple, all you got to do is just type in, uh, you know, just pigskin frenzy, follow, share around with others on there. X, Instagram, Facebook, all you got to do is type in pigskin frenzy, follow like the page there. You'll get episode updates. You'll get news and highlights from across college and NFL football. There's trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's as well as all things up to date for pigskin frenzy. College football day today, and we're <clears throat> week six was a doozy, right? It was interesting, and there was a lot of top matchups that, that took place, the Red River rivalry. There were some matchups that happened that we said, wow, about time, finally. And then there were some games where we looked at and we were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you... You, you guys know what games we're talking about. And we're going to break them down. Uh, week 7 top matchups. We're going to predict and preview those, uh, including USC and Notre Dame and the top 10 matchup of Washington and Oregon. I have been waiting on that one as well. I'm excited about that one. And we're going to recap and break that one down as well. Subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Uh, like each episode. Uh, keep plugging in on Spotify, Podbean, and Apple because it doesn't go unnoticed. I appreciate it. Um, as well as X, Instagram, and Facebook for all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Now, week six recap, the Red River Rivalry. The Red River Rivalry. Now, when you look at it, I mean, let me just, this is story time really quick for, for Joel. Young Joel woke up, fall in the air. You know, you know, nice wind chill out there. You know, where where you're wearing stuff like this, your light hoodie, and uh, you're just looking, and you're, you know, you smell the, the 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 nice smell of like coffee, and it's like a pumpkin spice type fall coffee there. And the game's on, leaves are falling off the ground. It's October weather, and you got you, you got OU and Texas on. That is college football, and the Red River rivalry is a classic rivalry for college football. You got all the classics. You got Vince Young. You got Colt McCoy, Jordan Shipley. Um, you got, I mean, you got Bijan in there now. I mean, uh, for OU, Landry Jones, Sam Bradford, uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. You got Sam Ellinger. You got a lot of those guys for you know, Texas. Sam Ellinger for Texas. You got a lot of those guys, right? And in this in in this year's this game didn't you know it was no different it lived up to the hype of undefeateds both undefeated looking forward to it uh, I said Texas was going to win and I was wrong I was wrong final score Oklahoma thirty four Texas thirty what a shootout it was a game that was back and forth and it, it was one of those games where I just I loved it you know I loved watching it. it it made me feel like I was a little kid again watching that game because of how classic how you know the classic performance was between both teams let me talk let me just read the stats 
And then I'll get into the game itself and the teams itself. Dylan Gabriel, 23 for 38 with 285 yards and a touchdown. 14 carries with 113 yards and a touchdown. Tywee Walker, 15 carries with 46 yards and two touchdowns. Jalil Farouk was his go-to man for five receptions, 130 yards. And linebacker Jaron Kanak and DB, freshman phenom, Billy Bowman Jr. were forces to be reckoned with on defense. Quinn Ewers for Texas. He didn't play bad. He just made a couple of errors. 31 for 37 with 346 yards and a touchdown. See? Not bad. He also had two interceptions. Yeah, and that's where the blemishes came in. Jonathan Brooks, 22 carries with 129 yards and a touchdown, five receptions with 34 yards. He's been a a force to be reckoned with on on that offense. He's been a big help for that Longhorns offense. Jordan Whittington was uh, one of the go-to guys for Quinn Ewers, 10 receptions with 115 yards. Xavier Worthy had eight receptions with 108 yards. Gunnar Helm, four receptions with 67 yards and a touchdown. And the two li- the two people who um, were forces to, to be reckoned with on the Longhorns defense was linebacker Anthony Hill Jr. and defensive back Jade uh, Barron. Um, when you look at these two teams, the there is, you know, you got one lost Texas who's not out of the woods yet. They lost a game. They could afford to lose that game. And they have a good win on their resume for the college football playoff uh, against Alabama. So they could afford that one. Speaking of the college football playoff, the college football playoff rankings are in how ha- are you know happening in Halloween in a few weeks. Uh, just letting you guys know that as the AP poll weeks are coming down to a close. But needless to say, Texas has got uh, a full wind of life ahead of them. They're a they are they're fine. They're going to be fine. They are solid enough, and I think the games that they got remaining on their schedule are very winnable. I don't think that I don't think they're going to lose Texas Tech. I don't think they're going to lose Kansas State. I don't think they're. I just don't think so. I really don't. They are a solid team. They're a solid team. They're going to make it. I think they're going to make it to the Big Twelve title game as a one loss team. Now, let's move over to OU. Oklahoma is back, and. Uh, they took a year off because it was a rebuilding year, but now they're back. Six and oh. Six and oh. They matched last year's win total. Six. They were they were six and six in the Cheez It Bowl and they lost to Florida State and they ended their record on six and seven. They're six and oh now. Brent Venables is the right guy. And I said that. He was the right guy. Just buy him some time. It's been working. 6-0 in year two. They were shut out last year. They were shut out against Texas last year in the Red River rivalry. 49-0 in OU wins, 34-30 this past Saturday. What does this mean for OU? They're going to go undefeated, I would assume, because they're the rest of their schedule is pretty, pretty winnable. Now, there's always going to be a flash of the pan that you probably don't expect. That's just college football. But, or not just college football, that's just football in general. But when you look at it, though, I would assume Texas and OU are going to be the two the two the two favorites heading in to Saturday, December second. And I said, and I said this, I said that Kansas State was going to be in it. Kansas State did indeed lose to Oklahoma State. I don't really think that Kansas State was what they were last year so far, and that's what's you know they're proving it right now. So I, I think that, and, and here's here's what I'm here's what I'm thinking. Right, I'm thinking that. Uh, it's going to be my projections have changed just like I said they would during the offseason. It's looking like Oklahoma and Texas are going to 
clash in a rematch, a Red River rivalry rematch for the Big 12 championship Saturday, December 2nd. That's where this is headed, and I'm all for it. Final score, Oklahoma 34, Texas 30. Both teams have life ahead of them, have playoff hopes ahead of them, and have championship hopes ahead of them. Oklahoma, Texas was playing good. OU just played a tad bit better. A tad bit better. Rematch? I would like to think so, and I'm ready for it. So, moving on, Alabama-Texas A&M. And it was a game that I expected, you know, for A&M to do a little bit of trickery, to confuse that that strong defense that Alabama's got right now, uh, to confuse... Uh, you know, to confuse their looks, you know, just change up their looks and then confuse what they're seeing. So not only that, I expected Alabama to run the ball late. Uh, they did run the ball, but not well. I thought the Aggies were, and, and I thought it was over. I thought Bama was going to end up losing because they, they stopped the run. What is Alabama going to do on offense? And then I saw them throw the ball consistently, and that's what shocked me. Final score, Alabama 26, Texas A&M 20. Close game, and here's what I didn't mention last week. A&M was pretty physical. They're a pretty physical football team. They played physical football against Alabama, and they played them close. And in most cases, that's what you got to do to win. But I guess Alabama just you know pulled away late. Like I said, they did pull away when it came to the style of play. They pulled away late, and Bama got the win. And 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 that's what. And that's what I was assuming, and that's what I thought was going to happen, and it did. Uh, Jalen Milrow and Jermaine Burton went off. It was a surprising duo there. Jalen Milrow, career high of 321 yards and three touchdowns with one interception. He was 21 for 34. Jace McClellan had 12 carries with 45 yards. Uh, Jermaine Burton was proven that he is not to be messed with in the SEC still. Nine receptions with 197 yards and two touchdowns. Isaiah Bond, seven receptions with 97 yards and the touchdown. Uh, defensive linemen, Tim Kennan third, and defensive backs, Kool-Aid McKinstry and Caleb Downs were the highlights on this defense. They played lights out with Caleb Downs picking off Texas A&M Aggies quarterback Max Johnson. Speaking of Max Johnson, hello, good sir. 14 for 25 with 239 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Le'Veon Moss had 16 carries with 49 yards and a touchdown. Super senior Anaya Smith, good play at the end, by the way, just a tad bit out of bounds, but four receptions with 88 yards. Jake Johnson, who was Brad Johnson's son and Max Johnson's brother, tied in Jake Johnson, four receptions with 45 yards and a touchdown. Defensive back Josh DeBerry and linebacker Edgerin Cooper were the highlights for the Aggies' defense. Now, looking at the game, Here's what Alabama is. Alabama's, they have that ceiling, right? They're the leaders of the West. The West still runs in Tuscaloosa. They have that ceiling. They just got to reach for it. They just got to reach for it. L, uh, Ole Miss is behind them along with that third place, LSU. And LSU uh, got a got a nice, good win against Missouri. Didn't look really all that impressive in the first half on defense, but Showed signs of life on defense in the second half. Better late than never, I guess. But they still got put 400-plus yards on them. Not good. So they got to change that up. Ole Miss behind them because Bama beat Ole Miss. So Bama's the leader of the West right now. Currently, as things stand, a and M still got a lot to play for. When you look at Texas A&M, they still got a lot to play for. They're 4-2. and two. They're looking for a, a, strong, a strong ending, a strong bowl bid. Uh, Alabama's still got a lot to play for as well, which is, includes winning the West. Um, they're not only winning the West, uh, you got 
you got playoff hopes as well, as well as conference championship hopes as well. So Bama's no one's out of it yet. It's still a little bit too early to tell, even though it is early October. Uh, fixing to be mid-October. It's still too early to tell, but Bama right now is the is the, the is number one in the West. And uh, they played it. They played it was a close, but hard fought battle. And A and M played them physical, but Bama pulled away late. Bama's got a ceiling, and I think they can reach it. Now, what they got to clean up is the penalties, because just like last year, they're still struggling in that area. Also, protection on the O line, because Jalen Milrow got sacked a ton against Texas A&M. He got sacked a whole lot. Uh, you're not going to want to have that in big time in bigger in bigger time games. And A&M was a bigger time game, but I'm talking about like against the Tennessee in a few in a couple of weeks. Next week is Tennessee. So this Saturday morning they got Arkansas, A&M has Tennessee this Saturday in Knoxville. So Tennessee's got to travel to Tuscaloosa after they play A&M. So you you can't afford you know, to let Milrow take sacks. You're going to need Milrow to win some more games, including the Arkansas and Tennessee game. So what does this mean for Bama? Clean up the penalties, clean up the line. What A&M needs to work on, I would assume, would be uh, not taking your foot off the gas late because they kind of, because as Bama pulled away in the style of play and on the field, they kind of pulled away and backed off late. They didn't play as aggressive. They played physical, but they didn't play as aggressive with their play calling. They didn't play aggressive, uh, you know, and they didn't show mentally. They didn't show like they were playing, you know, like they were in it, right? Uh, and time management. Time management uh, is one thing because A&M had the ball back at the end. Uh, they got they they <laughs> they got you know stopped, but at the same time, you know they, they kicked the field goal. Sorry, it was twenty six seventeen. They kicked the field goal twenty, and they ran out of time because of the clock management, running the plays. Uh, I think clock management is not Jimbo Fisher's expertise, but you know delegate that to somebody else. You got to have clock man. You got to have uh, you got to manage the clock well, and you didn't manage the clock because the clock's going to go faster now. Now with the new NCAA rule changes in college football games, the clock's going to go faster. So when you look at that, you're like, "Oh man, we got to hurry up." He just didn't progressed and he didn't you know do the job when it came to time management so not a good time management you know skill there not not really you know not really feeling it mentally at the end and not finishing strong and trying to win the game uh i think that's what they need to work on moving forward in other games so final score alabama 26 a&m 20 i kind of had a feeling bama was going to win this one and pull away and they did uh and m still got a lot to play for Bama, for sure, has still has a lot to play for. Moving on, Louisville and Notre Dame. I am kind of excited about to talk about this one because you know when you you know text in a group message and you you're like saying, hey, you know, like so and so has entered the chat. Joe Schmo has entered the chat. Louisville has entered the chat. They are in the conversation. Final score, Louisville 33, Notre Dame 20. They upset Notre Dame, and not only that, they outright beat Notre Dame in every style of in every style of the ball, offense, special teams, and defense. Jack Plummer, 17 for 24 with 145 yards and a touchdown. Jahard Jordan, their running back, is probably the, one of the main reasons why this offense was clicking against this Notre Dame defense. 21 carries with 143 yards and two touchdowns. Jamari Thrash with eight receptions and 75 yards and a touchdown. The Louisville defense had three interceptions. Sam Hartman threw his first pick of the year, 
and then he added a couple more afterwards. So he threw a he 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 added a he added a hamburger but made it a combo with some fries and a large drink after that with those three interceptions. Uh, so they had three interceptions. You know, the defense had three interceptions for Louisville, and that just made it hard for the Irish to get things going with a rhythm. So uh, speaking of Notre Dame, Sam Hartman had 22, was 22 for 38 with 254 yards and two touchdowns with three interceptions. Not really the best of nights for Sam Hartman and company. Jeremiah Love, five carries with 37 yards and two receptions with 16 yards. Uh, Audric Estime had 10 carries with 20 yards and a reception with nine yards. Uh, those were the two running backs. Mitchell Evans, four receptions with 71 yards and one touchdown. Their wide receiver slash tight end. And Jordan, there's another receiver, Jordan Fawson, two receptions with 48 yards and a touchdown. Linebackers JT Bertrand and Jack Kaiser were the highlights for this defense, but they kind of got, you know, they kind of, you know, fell backwards a little bit after this Louisville offense just kept going. They just kept pushing. They were a little bit more hard. Here's what I noticed. The defense slowing and limiting an Audric Estime and a Sam Hartman. That was the key that I mentioned last week, and they did that. They limited them, and they just didn't know what to do. Um, what does this mean for Louisville? They're undefeated. Bowl eligible, 6-0. and Jeff Brom's first season back at his alma mater, and they're 6-0. and They're not waiting around. They're ready to win right now, and they're undefeated in the ACC along with North Carolina and Florida State. If all three of those teams end up undefeated, how is that going to work? You know, how is that going to work in the playoffs with the playoffs coming up in the ACC title game? How is that going to work? I will do that on a future episode. So, but Louisville is undefeated right now, 6-0. and They're looking hot. They're looking good. Jack Plummer and that offense with Jahar Jordan at running back is looking solid. Now, what does this mean for Notre Dame? Notre Dame overall is a solid team, and they got a good game against a, a top 10 a top team with USC coming up. Saturday at home. They get them at home. They're favored in that one as well. They're favored. Notre Dame's favored. So when you look at Notre Dame, they still they're 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 out of the playoffs, I would assume. Uh they lost two games. They're out of the college ball playoff conversation, but they're still in the New Year's Six Bowl conversation and the highest non-New Year's Six Bowl conversation. They still got plenty to play for and to finish the season strong. So if I'm Notre Dame, I'm not looking down at this. It, it, it stinks that you're not going to be, probably not going to be in a playoff, you know, playoff berth because you lost two games and you're independent, but it's okay. It's okay. If this was the 12-team playoff, they wouldn't be out of it, but but it's the 14-team playoff. So they're, I, I would assume they're out right now, but they still got a lot to play for. Uh, Louisville, same thing, still has a lot to play for. Uh, final score, 33-20 Louisville. They're in it, and they're a solid football team, and they're coming. My thoughts on Louisville is I'm excited. I think it's unique, and I think it's, it's interesting to see that Louisville is in the top 15 now, and Louisville is undefeated, and, they could, and they're just trying to make a run either North Carolina or Florida State. I find that very interesting uh, because I didn't really see it coming, not in Jeff Brom's first year. Notre Dame, uh, back to the draw on board. They got a tough game against USC Saturday, but it could be winnable. Let's see how it goes. I think that they are a team that has still has plenty to play for, and I think they're a team that is going to, you know, go to a, a pretty pretty good bowl game. So, uh, final score, 33-20. Louisville not only upsets, but outright beats Notre Dame this past Saturday. Now, last but not least, Georgia-Kentucky. Last week, we had a come-to-Jesus meeting. 
and we had a come to Jesus meeting about Georgia. After that performance against Auburn, and Auburn played good. Georgia just Georgia probably should have beaten Auburn though, if we're being realistically by a couple of scores, and they didn't. It was twenty-seven twenty. Georgia is a team that you look at them and they have talent top to bottom. They lost a little bit, right? But they're still in contention. But the thing is, they're still so good in contention that one, they're number one in the nation, and two, one back-to-back national titles. But they're still contending to try to three P, which hasn't been done since the eighties with Nebraska. Georgia needed to wake up to show that, hey, we're still Georgia, we're still dominant, and we're, you know, even though we replaced Stetson Bennett and we replaced some pieces on defense, we're still going to knock at your door. We're actually not even knock at the door. We're going to kick the door down, beat you guys down, and go after another title. Georgia needed to wake up. About time. Final score, Georgia 51, Kentucky 13. You can almost hear a pin... I don't know if you heard that. That was the sound of my pin dropping. 51-13. Georgia played the best game they played all season. All season. Kentucky couldn't get anything going. And Kentucky's a solid football team. They're a solid football team. They couldn't get anything going. Carson Beck played his best game he's played all year. 28 for 35 with 389 yards and four touchdowns with one interception. The running backs, Dejon Edwards, nine carries with 54 yards. And the other running back, Kendall Milton, eight carries with 47 yards and a touchdown. The best tight end in the game, you got to win with him. Brock Bowers, top five draft pick. In my eyes, coming up in 2024, seven receptions with 132 yards and one touchdown. Marcus Roseme, four receptions with 99 yards and a touchdown. The Mississippi State wide receiver transfer, Ra-Ra Thomas, five receptions with 63 yards and a touchdown that he made. That was an insane catch over a Kentucky DB. Backup tight end, Oscar Delp, caught a touchdown pass from Carson Beck. And defensive back, Malachi Starks, was the highlight for that Georgia defense. He was all over the field in the secondary, the middle, and making making pretty, you know, electrifying tackles uh, against this Wildcat offense. So, speaking of the Wildcat offense, Devin Leary didn't have the best night when it comes to attempts attempts and completions, but with numbers, he was not bad. 10 for 26 with 128 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Kentucky's running back, Ray Davis, 15 carries with 59 yards. Last week uh, against Florida, he ran for, or you know, the, the couple of weeks ago, a couple of games ago against Florida, he ran for near almost 300 yards. And he only got 59 on the, on the ground. Two receptions with 65 yards and a touchdown. Tied in Josh Caddis with two receptions, 11 yards and a touchdown. Wide receiver Dane Key with three receptions and 65 yards. Defensive back Maxwell Hairston and linebacker De'Eric Jackson were the highlights of this Wildcats defense. Um, when you look at Kentucky... They're five and one, still a solid team. They they have potentially, if they keep going the way they're going, could go to a New Year's Six Bowl maybe, or a high graded non New Year's Six Bowl. I think they are great. Mark Stoops is a solid coach, and I think they're a pretty good football team. I really do. I uh, I think uh, they got a good game coming up against Missouri, who is also another good football team. They showed out this past Saturday, even though they lost to LSU. Missouri's a good football team. And, and Kentucky's a good football team. I think the what happened and in, in, in the reason why Kentucky couldn't really do anything is who they're playing against. 
Now, Kentucky's going to be fine. I think that Louisville game is going to be very interesting. So we're going to see what happens at the end of the year. But Kentucky's fine. I think Kentucky's Kentucky's fine. They still got some guys left to play against Bama. They got to play. They got to play Louisville as well. It's going to be tough. But let's see what happens there. Kentucky's probably going to be just fine, as well as Missouri. So, and Tennessee. I forgot about. They got to play Tennessee as well. So uh, let's see what happens with Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky's probably going to be just fine, though. I, I, I I'm, I'm. I'm a you know I'm I'm a believer in Mark Stoops still. So Kentucky's got a good team. They just need to uh they, they just pull they're what they really need to do is try to get Devin Leary going in rhythm. But other than that, Devin Leary can get going in rhythm. I just think it was the team he was up against. Let's go on to Georgia really quick before we go into the AP poll and week seven re, uh, predictions and previews. So Georgia, I told you that all they needed to do was wake up. Just wake up. Top to bottom, the SEC really runs through Georgia. Roster-wise, they are electrifying. Um, they got their Bama East. They're Al- they were Alabama East when Alabama was a, you know, was a big time, you know, big time threat with Kirby back in the day on defense. Alabama had like five stars at third string and fourth strings. Literally, Georgia's building that. They got depth. And they got the talent top to bottom, I think. And they got one of the best players in college football, if not the best player in college football, with Brock Powers on their team at tight end. He's unbelievable. Georgia is the number one team of the nation. They And this week, this week, they haven't been showing it. But this week, they certainly did. And they deserve that ranking because they'd be a pretty good Kentucky team, 51-13. If they do that throughout the rest of the year, there's no question who's going to the playoffs, who's winning the SEC championship, who potentially will be in the national championship game and try for a 3 P, which hadn't been done since Tom Osborne in Nebraska, the Georgia Bulldogs. And I, I think that's what I've been trying to say. They needed to just wake up. They needed to wake up, and they did. About time. Final score, 51-13. Georgia not only beats Kentucky, they dominated Kentucky. Uh, Georgia's got a lot ahead of them, though. They got Tennessee. They got Missouri. They got Ole Miss. They got uh, Georgia Tech. That's the the end of the game. Uh, They got Missouri, Florida, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. No, in no particular order there. So, final score, 51-13. Kentucky got a lot to play for. Back to the drawing board for them. Georgia still got a lot to play for, obviously. National title host. A a chance for a three-peat. Still up there. And let's see how they go. They can't sleepwalk anymore. They got to keep playing just like they did Saturday. Let's go to the polls. Um, that was the week six recap. Uh, let's go to the polls. You're thinking, Joel, you were talking, you're going to talk about what, what else, something else that happened in week six. I'm going to get there. Trust me. Don't worry. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there because we got to talk about that. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Michigan. Number three, Ohio State. Good win against Maryland, though. Maryland was undefeated heading into that game. Final score of that one was 37-17. Ohio State looked good, and they have a showdown with Penn State next week, and who Penn State is at number six. Top, top six showdown. I can't wait for it. That matchup's looming. Let's see who wins that one because that's going to be a that's going to toss up game for the first time in a long time. Uh, I'm excited about next Saturday on the 21st when it, uh, Penn State shows up to Columbus. So number four, Florida State after their bye week they did beat Virginia Tech. Number five, hello again Oklahoma, we're glad to see you. So number five, OU after an impressive win against Texas, they're six and zero. 
Brent Venables, man. I'm telling you, I'm high on Brent Venables. Number six, Penn State. I just said, I just mentioned that one. Uh, they got UMass before Ohio State, the big game next week. Number seven and number eight, Washington at seven, Oregon at eight. Top 10 matchup coming up Saturday between those two teams. I can't wait for it. I've been kind of waiting on that one as well. I'm excited. It's so weird that the last year of the Pac 12 is the year that the Pac 12 is just has so many teams in the in in the polls and, and they're ranked and they're good. It's just exciting football. It's it's exciting football. It really is. Uh, Texas at nine and they dropped six spots after losing to OU. And and I wouldn't drop them out of the top ten. They're still a solid team. So uh, good on them for you know not you know dropping them out of the top ten. Number ten USC. They keep slowly declining in the rankings and they probably because they played Arizona last uh, last Saturday they listen an Arizona solid team they're a really good team but with the talent that USC has and the Trojans have they probably should have beaten them by about two or three scores they really should have and uh they they go into uh triple overtime and they win 43-41 and it, it, the the competition is going to get stiffer they're 6 and 0 right now but the competition is going to get stiffer they got Notre Dame at Notre Dame Utah at home then then in no particular order Oregon Washington UCLA to end the year and I think they got somebody else. I think they got somebody else. I think they got. I think they got. I got somebody else at before that. But the point is that schedule gonna be tough. Going to be tough. That's a tough schedule. The problem is the defense. Some of these teams have defense, including UCLA. They got a defense, and it's gonna be tough to win some of these games if you don't stop them. Caleb Williams said in the after press conference, and I'm gonna go, we're gonna keep moving forward because I gotta I gotta move forward. But after the after the press conference, he said the defense helped us win that game against Arizona. Sure. He they did, they stopped Arizona. But here's the thing: throughout the whole game, the ball was being moved on, you know, constantly. They're giving up so much yards. Um, it's like an LSU situation. They just and it's always been this. Their defense hasn't been you know, elite, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been, they can't stop anybody, and I think that's the big issue with USC, and that's why a lot of people are are not only tuning out and not buying into USC as a championship team, they, they just keep dipping in the rankings because of the defense not stepping up to the level that they need to be at. So, USC at 10, and, and, and I think that's what the, the big issue is with USC, is their defense, that's it. Uh, offensively, one of the best and the most elite in the nation. So Alabama at 11 after a good win against A&M. North Carolina at 12. They beat Syracuse badly, uh, and they move up two spots at 12. Ole Miss survives Arkansas. They're at 13. They move up three spots, but it was a close game against Arkansas. Arkansas giving everybody their best game this year, though. Number 14, Louisville, and I'm excited about that. They're in the top 15. Number, number 14, Louisville at 6-0. I'm excited about that because it's unique. 15, Oregon State. 
Uh, they're they five and one. They got a good game against UCLA coming up this Saturday, though. Utah at sixteen, Duke at seventeen, UCLA at eighteen after a good win against Wazoo. Speaking of Wazoo and Cameron Ward, number nineteen, they dropped six spots after that loss to UCLA. Both teams have something to play for, along with Utah and Oregon State. Also at 19, because they tied this week with votes, Tennessee is at 19. They move up three spots, even though they didn't play anybody. They got a close game Saturday, though, against a tough Texas A&M and tough Texas A&M and physical Texas A&M football team. 21 is Notre Dame. They drop 11 spots. 21. They go to 11 spots. Uh, Five and two uh, game, five and two record for Notre Dame. They still got plenty to play for. They got a tough one against USC, number ten USC Saturday. Number twenty two LSU uh, struggled on defense still in the first half and a little bit in the third quarter, but late. The defensive line stepped up and improved. They stepped up in the middle a little bit. They stepped up in the line. There's just the secondaries. The secondary is the biggest question for LSU still. Major Burns with a uh, pick six to ice the game. Harold Perkins with an early interception as well. LSU played a little bit better on defense. Offense, elite. Their offense is probably the best in the SEC along with Ole Miss. Uh, But LSU still got plenty to play for. They only got one conference loss. They keep winning. They got a game against Auburn. They got a game against Auburn Saturday. So be careful on that one. But if they keep winning and they win out, Trip to Atlanta is probably calling their name. So, uh, rematch with Georgia, maybe? Who knows? We'll see what happens with LSU as the weeks go on. Kansas at 23. Kentucky at 24 after losing to Georgia. And I wouldn't drop them out of the top 25 because they are still a solid football team. They just got beat by the number one team in the nation. And it's the true number one team in the nation because of them finally waking up and not sleepwalking. Number 25, Miami. They drop eight spots. That really just ends the, the the top 25 polls. Before we move on to the week seven, let's talk about Miami. I can't avoid it. The game that I said, what are you doing, was this one. Miami was going to, uh, you know, get, go, go run, you know, run another play. We all said, knee it. The game's over. Knee it. Mario Cristobal. Decides to run another play, run, fumble, take a gander on who ends up with the ball. You probably guessed by now, Georgia Tech ends up with the football. They end up with the football. Texas A&M transfer quarterback, Georgia Georgia Tech starting quarterback, Haynes King, scrambles out, um, runs, throws a dart to the end zone. I'm motioning the signal. If you can't see, if, if y'all if y'all y'all are listening to me on podcast, I'm going to say it. But if you're listening, if you're listening and watching on YouTube, I'm motioning up the signal. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. They win the game. Miami players frustrated, visibly upset, and I would be too. Uh, it goes comes down to Mario Cristobal. It comes down to coaching. He's the blame for that. You ran another play. It's unnecessary to run another play. That game was an unnecessary loss. An unnecessary loss. Shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't have happened. Um, Should have needed it. Iced the game. Called it. You're walking on the field celebrating. No. Georgia Tech, congratulations. They played a good game. But Miami should have won that game. They should have needed it. Dumb move and not a very wise move. Or textbook move by Miami. Now, 
How's Miami going to respond? Well, they got a good game coming up in Chapel Hill Saturday. And we're going to see what happens there. Miami, one loss there. Uh, let's see what happens. They got they still got some stuff to play for, but Miami's at 25 now. Uh, that's, a, that's a game that they're going to have to, you know, Something's going to have to change there for Miami. So uh, let's go to week seven. That was the polls. Let's go to week seven. And speaking of Miami, we're going to kick off with that one first. Miami at North Carolina. Uh, undefeated North Carolina team looked really good against Syracuse. Um, and Miami trying to just bounce back from what happened after, you know, the, the mental error and the mental collapse after that Georgia Tech game. So Miami at North Carolina. Key for Miami, please, please, please clean up the mental mistakes because that was a big no-no. You know, uh, on Sesame Street, Elmo would go, no, no, Mr. Noodle, because Mr. Noodle was the uh, one of the Elmo's friends in Elmo's world and his crayon drawing Elmo's world. No, no, Mr. Noodle. When, no when Mr. Noodle would do something, you know, that wasn't all there. He would think two plus two is five. No, no, Mr. Noodle. That's what I'm saying to Miami. No, no, Miami. No, no. If you have the game in hand, knee it. It's it's not it's common. It's, it's the common thing to do. Uh, Cristob Mario Cristobal had a similar situation happen to him when he was at Oregon, 2018 Stanford. If you recall that one, this, this is the same thing. Clean up the mental mistakes. If I'm North Carolina, Drake May needs to play like he has been against Syracuse, like he did against Syracuse last week. He needs to play like that. Uh, dang near. 400 yards, darn near 400 yards. Uh, that was a lot, that's a lot in the air. He's, he's finally in a rhythm. He's showing why he's one of the most elite in college football, and he's doing the thing. He's doing it. Uh, Drake May needs to play like that. Who do I have winning? North Carolina. I have North Carolina remaining undefeated. I have them beating Miami 24-10. Uh, North Carolina 24, Miami 10. I think it's going to be close in low scoring, you know, going into the fourth. But I think I think my I think North Carolina is going to pull away at the very end and score a couple of touchdowns to ice it. 24-10, North Carolina over Miami. Miami goes to four and two, and North Carolina goes to seven and zero. Oh. A lot to play for for North Carolina, man. Wow, good season so far for them. Coming up now, USC at Notre Dame. Josh Pate uh, for the late kick, great show. Go and listen to it. Very popular. Said that the wrong team was favored with Notre Dame and Louisville. Uh, the wrong team was favored. Louisville was solid going into that game. And I, you know what? I agree. I agree with that take. Wrong team was favored. Is the wrong team favored in this one, though? Don't think so. I don't. The model says Notre Dame by a field goal, and USC's the underdogs heading into South Bend. Tough environment. They are undefeated as well in the top 10, but they're still not favored. Kiefer with this to win. Established a balanced running game with Audric Estime and Jeremiah Love establish a balanced running game between the two backs for Notre Dame and run the ball on a defense that's not stopped anybody yet. Give them something and give them a look that it's like, okay, we just can't stop this. And if I'm Notre and if I'm uh 
you know, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm doing this, right? There's two keys for Notre Dame, by the way. I'm going to get to that in a minute. USC, the key for USC to win is just find a way to make a crucial stop. That's one. And two, play lights out offense like you have been. Just keep going the way you've been going. If you play lights out offense and you play, you know you have the defending Heisman Trophy winner and the best quarterback in college football with Caleb Williams. You find a way to get that, get him, get him going as usual. You're going to win the game, right? Uh, and that's the two keys for USC. Get at least a couple of crucial stops and let Caleb Williams and the offense run the show. That's how you win it if you're USC in this one. Two things for Notre Dame. Established a balanced running game with Audrey Estime and Jeremiah Love. And find a way to contain Caleb Williams. If you slow Caleb Williams down and they can't stop you guys on on off, on defense, if the defense, if the Trojans can't stop you guys running the ball and scoring, game's over. That's it. I mean, Notre Dame's got it. Who do I have won in this game? I think it's going to be close. I do think it's going to be close. I think USC is going to hang in there, and they're going to find a way to win. I think USC uh, finds a way to pull it out. I think Caleb Williams hits a game. does a, a game winner at least. I think I think he leads them down the field, marches down the field, scores and ices them. I think USC gets them by a score. I would say by a score of 35-28. 35 USC, Notre Dame twenty eight and. They get away with one there. Now, in the future, I'm going to shrug. We'll see. I'm not completely sold on the defense still. I think they're still going to have trouble against Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame could potentially beat them, and I could get this game wrong. But I like Caleb Williams enough to ice this game and win this game. So 35-28, USC over Notre Dame. Uh, they go to 7-0, while Notre Dame goes to 5-3. and UCLA and Oregon State. Interesting one there. Interesting one. Uh, UCLA at Oregon State. Keep for Oregon State. Keep feeding Damian Martinez. Run the ball a lot. Because he's a good back for the Beavers. So run the ball. And he's a he's, he's probably one of the most dynamic players on this team and offense. So run the ball. And I think with him, and just keep establishing the run with him, and I think you'd be fine. UCLA defense, and this is the USC's UCLA's key. UCLA defense needs to pressure DJ Ugalele into making crucial errors, and I think that's what needs to happen for UCLA to win this game. And I think they got the defense to do it. Who do I have winning this game? UCLA at Oregon State. I got UCLA winning twenty-four to twenty-one. UCLA twenty-four, Oregon State twenty-one. They go into Beavertown, they knock them off, and they play a stellar enough defensive game to cause DJ Ugalele to make some decisions that he's going to regret in the game. So 24-21 UCLA over Oregon State. Final game, of course, Oregon at Washington. I cannot wait for this game. I'm excited. I'm ready to rock and roll. Seven versus eight. Okay. Got a couple of ones. I I got three keys for this. One for Oregon, one for Washington, one for both. <clears throat> Key for Oregon. And I got some I got some stats. Don't worry. Oregon finds a way to contain Jalen McMillan, Rome Adun, Aroma Dunsey, and Jalen Polk. 
the wide receivers. If you don't remember those names, you're gonna you're gonna need to gonna need to go watch Washington. Uh, those three widers, that wide receiver room is deadly. Uh, Washington is number one in passing offense. They're averaging 193 attempts, 143 completions, with only three interceptions. Let me let, let me read that again. 193 att- uh, attempts, 143 completions with three interceptions. Oregon has to find a way to contain the wide receivers of Washington in the number one passing offense heading into this football game. Tough one to ask for, especially as you're losing a guy, after losing some key guys, including Christian Gonzalez, uh, who's now with the New England Patriots. That's Oregon's key to winning this game. If they can contain them, and find a way to contain them and slow them down, you, you make him do it. Washington, this is, their, this is their key, tries to find a way to slow down Oregon's running game. Oregon is number eight in running offense. They are Their average is currently 1,173 yards total. They are number eight, their top 10 team in rushing and running offense. Something's got to give. On the ground, they're superb. Washington through the air is the best in the FBS. That's Washington's key. The last key, who plays better at quarterback? That's for both teams. Who's going to play better at quarterback? Is it going to be Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix? This is the most underrated and one of the most, one of the most I think, probably going to be the most entertaining quarterback battles we've seen all year. Bo Nix versus Michael Penix Jr. Heisman hopefuls going at it. In Seattle, purple out for the Huskies, undefeated, both 6-0, and heading into Week 7. Who do I have winning? It is hard to not pick Oregon. When you look at Oregon, they got the overall team, right? They got <clears throat> they got Bucky Irving. They got Bo Nix. They, they got a strong running game. Bucky Irving, oh, Bo Nix, they got a strong running game, strong, you know, strong overall balanced attack on offense. Their defense is pretty salty and salty enough to get things done. Oregon, as an overall team, I think, and I'm going to change my prediction, is probably going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. I do. Why haven't you given a score yet? That's what you're probably asking right now, right? Because Oregon's not going to win Saturday. They lose this one. Washington beats them. I think it's going to be Washington 49, Oregon 42. You're thinking, you just hyped up Oregon for us to just say that Washington wins. I think Washington wins it. I think Washington is a team to not be messed with. I think it's going to be hard to stop that passing offense. I think Michael Penix Jr. is the truth. And this game is going to show that Michael Penix probably is going to be the front runner to winning the Heisman Trophy. Final score, Washington 49, Oregon 42. I got Washington beating Oregon, and I got Oregon still in it. Oregon still in it. They they lose one, and I think Oregon's probably going to be number two in the Pac-12 championship race with the winner of USC and Washington deciding on who's going to be in it. But uh, right now, I have Washington beating Oregon. I think Oregon's a good team, and I think Oregon can very well win this game. I just like Washington winning Saturday because of that deadly passing attack. Close game, high-scoring game. Washington 49, Oregon 42. 
And that just about does it for Pigskin Frenzy. A big thank you again for just taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like each episode, leave comments down below, Spotify, Podbean, and Apple. Just share around with others and follow on there as well. X, Instagram, and Facebook, just type in Pigskin Frenzy. Follow on the page there. You'll get episode updates, news and highlights from across college football. Uh, why am I doing this with my hands? Uh, trivia questions on the stories. Go and answer today's as well as all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Big thank you again today. Uh, Thursday, we're going to recap week five of the NFL, and we're going to dive into week six of the NFL with some of the top matchups there. We're going to dive into um, what happened with you know the Bengals won. That's interesting. The Bengals won. They're two and three. Let's, let's see if they're going to make a comeback. We're going to dive deep into the Bills and Jaguars game because that was an inter- interesting game. We're also going to dive deep into the Monday Night Football game between the Raiders and the Packers. So, till Thursday, I'm Joel Norris signing off. We'll see you then for an, an NFL edition of Pigskin Frenzy. And for everybody out there, stay the course.